0: This episode of Mass Holes is brought to you by Friendly City Books, Columbus, Mississippi's independent bookstore. Learn more at FriendlyCityBooks.com.
1: everyone, and welcome to Mass Holes, the Friendly City Books podcast where we talk all things Sarah J. Mass. I am Caroline, and with me today is Kenzie. Hey. Hi. So, Kenzie is very much responsible for my reading of Sarah J. Yes. Mass. So, <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us uh, how you came across Sarah J. Mass and uh, why you are such a big fan of hers?
0: Yeah. So, I first started reading Sarah J. Mass in. April of 2020. I'd never read fantasy before then, and I saw it at the library, and I was like, you know what? Let me pick this up. It's super popular right now during COVID. I read it, and I finished the entire series within four days. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. And then I read Throne of Glass right after, and I tried to read a little bit of Crescent City, but I only got about 80 pages in, so
1: still haven't finished that yet. Well, when I get to Crescent City, we can buddy read it because they are so huge, I yes. think I'm going to need some help to actually like <laughs> focus and get through them. I, I mean, I have no doubt that I'm going to love them, but it's always fun to have somebody to read things right. with. Um, so which one do you like better? Do you like Akatar or do you like Throne of Glass better?
0: I think I like Throne of Glass better. Really? Honestly, yes. I know it was her very first book she ever published. And when she was like 16, I think. And but I just think the whole like world building is so much better. Like, I know there's like seven or eight books Mm -hmm. but still I just think it's so much better and the characters um I feel like there's not a lot of action poured into one single book kind of like Court of Mist and Fury it was so like plot heavy Mm -hmm. and um Throne of Glass really allows it to be spread out yeah I I remember
1: Randy was telling me that she has a a romantic couple in Throne of Glass that is her absolute favorite Sarah J Maas couple Um, uh Throne of Glass is the only
0: like book series to make me sob, Aww. like absolutely sob Yeah, in one of the
1: books. Well, hopefully we can get that far. Yes. Um, <laughs> but right now we are inching our way through uh, Acatar, and today we are here to talk about A Court of Mist and Fury, which is book number two in the Acatar series. Oh, my gosh. I have so many thoughts. Yes. So the first book... I was a little on the fence about. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think I was kind of at the point where I was like, man, if these are all going to be like this, <laughs> it's going to be a long podcast. But this one, I I loved it. I mean, I it was so much more interesting and engaging and exciting and The love story is a
0: true love story, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And credit to to Randy, who said, (laughs) if you're going to read all of book one, you might as well reward yourself with book two. And she was so, so, so right, um, because this one really, really was special. So I guess we should just kind of go ahead and break this down. And bear with us because it is a long, long plot. (laughs) But so we open the book with Feyre, who is our protagonist, same as the first book. Um, But now, instead of being human, she's a high fey. She is back in the spring court, which instantly I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. Yes, (laughs)
0: least favorite part.
1: It was instantly as brutal as the first book was, which... I think helped me appreciate the first book a little bit more because it felt more intentional like all of that wasted time closed doors closed lips of the of the spring court is more their mo than it is her dragging her yeah. heels as a plot teller and I think that like for me as much as I was like oh my god i I cannot handle any more spring Court I think that it it helped me kind of keep the, what i read in the first book a little bit more in perspective where i could kind of see like this is just the way that the court is and this is why the spring court sucks yes exactly <laughs> so we open up with vera in the spring court back with tamlin and lucian we also meet ianthi who I think that's say um, she is the high priestess of the spring court. There are 12 high priestesses of Prithian, which we did not know about in the first book. They are back and they are, um, they seem to all be kind of political power players in the courts. Ianthe of course is Tamlin's kind of right-hand woman, essentially like, you know, he, she's got Lucien on one side, Ianthe on the other and Feyre. He doesn't really seem to have much of a need for other than, um, Love making, if you will, and it very much is okay. Back to normal, Pharaoh. Go paint. Don't think too hard. Don't do anything too interesting. God forbid you explore your fairy powers that you may or may not have. And Pharaoh really is struggling, and she is trying to cope with these horrific nightmares and trauma from her time under the mountain. And we see her really, really floundering in this, you know, post Amarantha world. And then Tamlin, meanwhile, is full guns blazing. We're getting married. And she hasn't heard from Reese. It's been three months. Finally, the wedding day comes. And she is like, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. I don't know. Like, she has a lot of reservations. She's about to walk down the aisle. Boom. Who appears? Reese. Reese is here to save the day. And he says, hello, Farah, darling. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and calls in his bargain that he made with her on the in book one, where she has to spend a week with him every month. And so Tamlin is, of course, livid. Everyone in the, the spring court is up in arms. Chaos ensues. Reese snaps her away and takes her to the night court. And it's basically like, you're welcome. I knew you didn't want to marry him. And they, of course, have their little tension kind of, uh, why, why are you the way that you are, kind of, you know, thing that they do um which only gets more wonderful as the book goes on this is that classic enemies to lovers romance that you knew they never were enemies to begin with and I think that those are some of the best kind they are they really are (laughs) and so we get to her first week in the night court and Reese kind of keeps her you know insulated into the safety of his house and starts teaching her how to read and works with her to kind of learn how to protect her mind from fairies who might have mind control powers like Reese. And she, you don't really get to see a lot of the night court quite yet. It's, it's no. very much like a he doesn't know if he can trust her. She doesn't really want to get to know the night court because she's been told so many horrible things about how evil and horrible they are. And th- that's about it for the week. Other than ruining the wedding, Reese is pretty harmless. And sends her back to the spring court and, you know, instantly the spring court and company is like, oh, thank goodness you're back. Tell us everything. And it's very much spring court versus night court. They are enemies at their core. They are not in any way simpatico. So when Feyre gets back to the spring court, she wants to be involved in everything that's going on. She continues to beg for involvement. And this back and forth kind of continues for a little while and we can kind of yada yada it. A little bit, um, but essentially her powers, her fairy powers start to come out and whether Tamlin likes it or not, she has to cope with them and deal with them. But instead of coping and dealing with them or even, God forbid, training her, Tamlin locks her away. In the castle and they all leave and she is caged and trapped and basically has a fairy superpower panic attack where she explodes her room in darkness and who comes to save her but Reese's friend Moore yes Alice called Alice calls okay low-key Kenzie's dying over this but I think Alice is a spy for the night court I
0: don't think she is I
1: think she how did she have Moore's number they just know. I don't know. She was like, come, come take care of her. Come save her. <laughs> and then like we show back up to the spring court later on and Alice is OK. So nobody knows that she's complicit in this. She was like, oh, yeah. like, oh, What just, happened? Who knows? Like she's just gone. Alice is a spy for the night court. I'm fully convinced she's been keeping tabs. <laughs> But anyways, so these are my conspiracies. No one else's. Um, <laughs> so we get essentially Feyre escaping the spring court, going to back to the night court. But of course, to Tamlin, this is looking like the night Court outright stole her from his home and that this is some sort of kidnapping of his bride, which to me, I think, really, in general, ties back to the overall just complete and utter chauvinism of the spring court. I think this is there are so many instances tamlin tells her uh at one point that there is no such thing as a high lady only high lords they have no use for her other than essentially breeding and throwing parties i mean this Mm -hmm. is such a derivative gendered expression of what a court could be that it's in general very boring and kind of disappointing in general (laughs) but so anyway, so essentially now we're back to the Night Court full time for the most part. We are finally free from the tyranny of the Spring Court, both us as readers and Feyre as a character. And this is basically where the book takes off, for me anyways. because yes, this is
0: my, starting to be my favorite part.
1: Right. Because it's we are getting into Reese's world. We are understanding him as a character and learning that when you peel back those layers, he is not this evil doer that no. everyone thinks that he is. There's
0: so much more to him.
1: Right. He, he is a sweet baby angel yes. wrapped up in this like demonic little costume, essentially. So when Reese essentially decides that he can trust Feyre, he takes her to Valaris, which is the city in the Night Court that is protected above all other things. This is a secret city that no one else knows about. And it, because of that, it's able to live in peace and prosperity and free from attack and harm from the other courts or from within the night court because the other city in the night court is the hewn city which is where kind of the nobility and the night court itself operates and this is really kind of like the yin to the yang of Valaris. it is dark it is brooding it is evil it is horrible in every way so Reese takes her to Valaris, takes her to his home, introduces her to his friends, who are very fun. And so we should definitely introduce them all. We have Cassian and Asriel, a.k.a. the Bat Boys. They are winged Illyrians. They are warriors who have these big giant wings and superpowers, fairy superpowers. And they're also sweet baby angels. Yes. And we love them. We have Amren, who is basically... A little vampire demon. She she reminds me of Edna from The uh, <laughs> the Incredibles and in this like tiny little package, but yet she will like rip your soul out and yes. feast on your blood. She is fantastic. And then, of course, we have Moore, who is the one who rescued Fa- Feyre from the spring Court. She is Reese's cousin and she is also, you know, one of his very trusted inner circle. And she is kind of this lovely woman who has survived so much and yet is still this like glowing, welcoming girl's girl who really has Feyre's back. Mm -hmm. So it's at this point where Feyre essentially says, all right, I'm done with the spring court and I am I'm Team Nightcourt now. What is our mission, essentially? And the thing that Reese has been telling Favoris since essentially page one is that the King of Hybern is coming. He's coming to wage war on the mortal world. He's coming to reclaim the mortal lands for his own. And Perithian is the only thing that stands in his way. So they are all in danger, but most of all, the humans and the human world are done for, essentially. So she, of course, teams up with Reese and his crew of wonderful friends to essentially stop the king. That is the the adventure portion of this yes. book. So we go into kind of a mini adventure se- series yes there are so many of them yes so this was the one of the parts in the first book that I really enjoyed was like let's go meet the surreal, let's go fight the naga like let's go get to know the fairy world a yeah. little bit more and so I enjoyed some of these but I will say that there were enough that there were sometimes that I got a little lost in the sauce along the way and was just really along for the ride which is fine I think this book is about being along for the ride yeah, and just enjoying so the journey So the first adventure that they go on is to the fairy prison yes, where all the baddies are kept and they go to meet the Bone Carver, who is this very evil mythical being who knows everything. All these like mythical side quests. They know a lot of things. Yeah. Do you think he has tea with a cereal and maybe they like they gossip together? But so they go to the Bone Carver who confirms that the king is planning to resurrect this ancient cauldron that is the root of incredible fairy power and then that cauldron is going to allow him to break down the wall that divides the fairy world from the human world so that he can go take over everything but in order to do so he needs the book of breathings to control it now the book of breathings it's been broken in half the first half is in the summer court and the second half is in the mortal lands guarded by the queens of the mortal realm So this sends us from the bone carver. Our next side quest is my favorite side quest, which is we go to the summer court.
0: Yes, I love the summer court.
1: I love the summer court (laughs) so much. They are so wonderful. So this is a very coastal environment. It's very like seafaring. It gives me Adriatic vibes. It gives me Croatia, like a castle on this crystalline blue bay. It is so beautiful. And, you know, some are fun. Some are fabulous. So when we go to the Summer Court, we meet the High Lord, who's Tarkin, who is wonderful. And as Baird describes him, he is easy to be friends with and even easier to be in love with. So he's a babe, basically, he is what is. we're trying to say. <laughs> and then he also has Prince Varian and Princess Cressida at his side. These are kind of his two trusted People, and they play very minor roles in general in this current plot, but I would assume if we're getting introduced to them now, they're going to be important later. So Tarkin and Reese actually have a common ethos that like fairies shouldn't be divided between high and low and that, you know, humans can play an important role. And it's very this kind of egalitarian ideal. But obviously Reese, because he is has this front as a bad guy to the rest of the fairy world. He can't really tell Tarkin that like, I believe you and i I side with you on all of these things. And he can't use Valaris as an example of his practicing what the, he preaches in that because Valaris is a secret. So Tarkin is kind of in this world where like he wants to be friends with them, but he doesn't really know if they can trust, he can trust them, but they need the book of breathings from him. And so ultimately instead of trusting him, even though he has shown that he can be a true friend to them, they decide to go behind his back and steal the book instead, which really bummed me out. Yes. Because
0: I want them to be best friends. I know. I love them so much. Yes. But you also get to look kind of into Ferris powers when Mm -hmm. she uses, like, kind of turns herself almost into Tarkin to like get past his shields and kind of see like her struggle with like, you know, finding out exactly what she can do with her powers and finding out that she has powers from all of the High Lords and what exactly those powers entail.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that this was a fun little entry point into Farrah's powers because before this, obviously while she's in the Night Court, we begin to see her kind of training but she's not doing a whole lot. And then here we get to where she is surrounded by Summer Court power and she's able to really tap into that. And so we see her do things like creating water animals and the bathtub and you know, this kind of really magical, but lighter moment where it's not, it's magic that isn't brought on by her fear or trauma. Yes. It is magic that is brought on because she feels safe and feels like she can explore her new identity and new self. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a credit to the Summer Court and how how welcoming and kind and open they are. But yeah, so unfortunately, they decide to steal the book. And so Farah and Amron go on this like little mini quest to, to steal the book. It's in this safeguard space under the sea. They get trapped. They nearly die and are saved by some water wraiths who are repaying a kindness that Feyre lended to their sister back in the spring court. Early, early on, this is like in the first 20 pages, Tamlin, because he's being Tamlin, is tithing his people and demanding payment um, and taxes from them. And the water race say, we have no food, we have no money, we cannot give you anything. And he says, too bad, come up with something or we'll kill you. And so Feyre feels horrible about this, gives them her jewelry and she says we will not forget this kindness and that turns around and is the thing that saves her and Amryn in the end which i thought was fun and i always yeah. love a good romp where we get to meet some of the kind of quote-unquote lower fae so now they have the first half of the book of breathings they then need the second half of the book of the breathings but we have to go to the mortal lands for it and let me tell Ugh. you we go to the mortal lands way too many times in this book there's a lot of back and forth so the first time we go, we meet Nesta and Elaine, who are still in Yay. their happy little world. Nesta's still difficult. Elaine's still a lamb in the woods. And she was also engaged to a human at that point. Yes, that's right. And she wore a ring of
0: iron because it was said to, like, push away Fae or, like, it was supposed to burn them or something like that.
1: Fat lot of good that did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this also, Nesta and Elaine get to meet Reese and Cassian and Azriel. Feyre's sisters see her as a fairy for the first time. And this is really that kind of moment of worlds collide, which, of course, ties back in her human family for the later books and the later drama. We're not just leaving them behind is what this tells yeah. me. So Nesta and Elaine agree to host this meeting with the queens. And we go back to Valaris. And this is when Starfall happens.
0: Yay. That is Probably my favorite part in the entire series, Starfall. I wish we got so much more of that, mm-hmm. or even Starfall in other books. Well, why don't you why don't you
1: tell me about Starfall then, since it's your favorite part?
0: Okay, so Starfall is basically something that happens once every year, and it's when um, I think it's like these fairies. They like travel across the night sky, but they look like stars, and it's kind of a turning point in the book for Reese and Farah because. She dresses up in this beautiful gown and they had just had a fight and they finally come back and they apologize to each other and it's kind of this kind of beautiful moment between them enjoying something that's fully for the night court and just seeing kind of the beauty of it. And eventually one of them splatters on Either I think it's on his face Mm -hmm. and she wipes it off and it's kind of like her painting for the first time he mentions and it's kind of like this turning point like okay yeah she's starting to heal from her trauma a little bit and kind of being okay with being in the night court and fully accepting this is her new life.
1: Yeah. And I think that like also one of the things because we've been just burning through this plot at such a fast rate that we aren't really talking about is that the entire time that Farah is with Reese and in and out of the night court, she is she is healing. Like she is. She is having less nightmares. She is feeling safer. She is able to process the pain of what has happened to her. And all of the people in the night court that she is with also have similar histories and stories and that they've also had to process. And so I think she has that camaraderie and companionship with them where she feels seen and understood and it helps her kind of feel like it's going to be okay. And for me, Starfall was really cool because it it gives Valaris itself such a personality. Mm -hmm. This is a city where it feels so alive it jumps off the page you feel like you could go to Valaris. it reminds me a lot of iceland and so with starfall i kind of imagined like the northern lights combined with these shooting stars that are really these spirits and it's just such a magical place it's a fairy utopia essentially mm-hmm. but in this beautiful hopeful way And the reason that this particular Starfall is so important is that Reese has been under the mountain for 50 years. So this is the first time that he's celebrating Starfall with his friends for a really long time. And because they think that they're about to go to war with the king, they also kind of view it as the last time that they're going to have a Starfall for a very long time. So it's a very important moment in the book for basically every character that is celebrating it. And also it's that first real moment of like, oh, okay, this romance, (laughs) this is on, it's going to happen. And it's a, it's a ticking time bomb. Yes. Which is great. We love (laughs) Love that. that. So now we are to the point where Feyre and Reese need proof to show the human queens that they can be trusted with the Book of Breathings. They need to show that they are good and not this evil ideal that Reese has painted himself as to the world and it, they decide or Reese decides that the best way to do this is to show the mortal queens Valaris and to show them this utopia that he has created this safe place for a fairy and in order to do that they need the Veritas which is essentially like a mat, uh, crystal ball yeah and the person who has this crystal ball is Moore's father and he is at the night court in the Hewn City And he's a very horrible fairy, uh, much like everyone else at the Night Court. Yes. Court of Nightmares. The Court of Nightmares. Thank you. And so we go to the Court of Nightmares and Reese has to play the baddie. And he is so worried that Feyre is going to just like see this and run for the hills. But instead, Feyre decides (laughs) to play the baddie too. And it becomes a lot of fun basically, they show up, they cause a distraction while Azrael seals the um, the Veritas. and so in doing this distraction, they just basically behave extremely evil and extremely horny and uh, put on a show for everybody <laughs> yeah. there. And um, it's pretty hot, but it's also it, it's kind of a tie back
0: to under the mountain yeah, because that's how they acted under the mountain so they kind of have to keep on that facade. When really in their minds, they're like, are you okay? Like, is this okay? You know, how are you feeling? When nobody else knows what they're doing.
1: Right. And the difference too is that under the mountain... Pharaoh wasn't in on it yeah she didn't understand what was going on or why this was happening but now she is in on it and she is not only an active participant she is an enthusiastic (laughs) participant in this role that she is playing so it's really fun to see them go back to this like baddie shtick because you know we had that in in book one and it was so fun to see Reese be this kind of like bad guy with a heart of gold and then now he's Basically a big, giant softie. Yes. But now we're getting that taste, that reminder that like, no, this is also a role that they have to play because at the end of the day, they have to be the overlords and in control of these incredibly horrible fairy yeah. and the Court of Nightmares. And, and in order to do that, they have to be the baddest of them all, basically, or the horniest of them all. Still unsure. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. No matter what. Yeah. Whichever way you want to put it. So... After Starfall, after the Court of Nightmares, they realize that somebody has basically been able to ping Reese's magic and is tracking them. So they run for the hills, literally. They go to the Illyrian training camps. Yeah, the war camps, basically. Right. And so while they're there, Reese, Pharah, Cassian, Asriel, all of them are like, well, we might as well train if we're at the training camps. And so they spend a lot of time training, working on pharaoh's magic, practicing all sorts of different things, you know, exploring which power she has at some point she has firepower from the fall court she has light from the day court she has night from the night court uh shape shifting from spring court shape shifting from spring court water from summer uh, winnowing is a basic fairy skill yeah. which is their ability to kind of um jump from place to place and so she's working on trying to master all these things and suddenly who pops up but Lucian and a band of Tamlin's sentinels and they've come to steal her back away from the night court and take her home to the spring court, which nobody wants. <laughs> Don't you dare. Um, I would like to point out that nobody in this book disappoints me more than Lucien. Yes, he broke my heart. He, in the first book, he is, you know, the reasonable side of Tamlin. He is the one who has this moral compass and knows that being good and kind and a friend to Farah is important. In this book, it is like all of that goes out of the window if it means placating Tamlin's rage. Yeah. And it sucks because he's basically spineless and we are so disappointed. But so Lucien shows up with the sentinels and they say, we're going to take you home. And Farrah says, nah, I don't think so. And keep in mind also what we didn't mention before is that she had actually already sent a letter home to Tamlin to the spring court saying, I am fine. I don't want to come home. I'm doing great. Smell you later, loser. Yeah. And so she has made her wants clear. Like he knows whether he believes that she was kidnapped or not. He knows like she has no interest in returning to the spring court and has decided to ignore that and send these people to come fetch her, essentially. So Lucien tries to grab her. She is able to winnow away from him. And And she grows these beautiful wings. Yes. She becomes her, her very own bat boy. Yeah. And darkness pulls around her and she becomes the embodiment of the court of night, essentially. She's like, let me show you what the darkness taught me. And yes. They're all
0: like, what is
1: going on? And they turn tail and run, <laughs> yes. which well deserved. So good for Feyre for kind of, you know, showing up and showing off what all she can do. And at this point also, this is when Reese tells us what the Tamlin backstory is between him and Tamlin, why they hate each other so much. Will you refresh my memory on what exactly, who kills who? What's the deal? Okay.
0: So Tamlin's Dad killed Reese's mom and sister. So then Reese's dad got revenge and killed Tamlin's dad and went to kill him. But that's when something happened. They were stopped. And Tamlin ends up killing Reese's father also. So then, all of a sudden, in amongst this carnage, Reese and Tamlin all of a sudden become High Lords. And uh, Reese goes back home to the Night Court. Tamlin stays there. Eventually, when Vera comes, she sees these wings upon the wall, doesn't know whose they are. Um, I think Tamlin hides it from her, but eventually you kind of put it together that they belong to either his mom or his sister, mm. like Reese's mom or sister, and just kind of figuring out exactly that what Tamlin said wasn't the whole truth.
1: Right. And also we know from Reese how important his mom was to him and how she was kind of a very much a force of good and lightness in his life. And that she is the one who basically instilled his moral compass and ethos and made him the person that he is today. So she's a very important character to him. And so for Tamlin and his father to have been her killers, that is gonna be a big wound. Yeah. But they also hate each other because they both have done a lot of damage to each other and to each other's families. So all of this is happening, and then they're ambushed. Vera and Reese. And it's not by Lucian this time. I think it's by King of Hoburn. Yes. And they have ash arrows. And as we know, ash arrows kill fairies, but also they are laced with poison. So they are just hitting Reese with a double whammy. He just gets laid out with all of these arrows. He falls to the ground. Farah and Reese get separated. Reese is grabbed by these men who are ambushing them, drags him away, and Farah has to track them down. And not only does she track them down, but she murders every last one of them and is like, I have to save Reese because he's essentially dying. So she goes out into the woods, and who doth appear? the cereal The cereal it's almost as if she wanted to be found it's a little casual she's like oh hey what's up girl you don't even have to trap me this time i'll just tell you everything (laughs) so the cereal tells her you have magical healing powers in your blood because of the dawn court so feed him your blood give him a little snack of this plant and your mate should be good to go and vera says my what and she's like oh you didn't know like sips tea yeah, he's your mate, and Feyre is just like stunned beyond. I mean, I'm not stunned. Why are you? Why are I you know. gagging so? <laughs> like we know that this was gonna, gonna what it's gonna be. So she goes back. She saves Rhys, and she is just so mad because Rhys clearly knew that they were mates, but didn't tell her. So she takes him back to the the training camp to be with his friends, and then she's like, "Get me out of here." So Moore takes her to this cottage in the woods where she's safe. And she just broods for like days on end and tries to decide if she actually wants to be with Reese or not. Which why?
0: Why did you need why days is your to think about her? Not yes immediately. Why <laughs> are we hesitating? I'm sorry. Was Tamlin better somehow? <laughs> she also paints for the first time.
1: Like truly paints. Paints every single surface. Right. So she's painting this cottage head to toe, everything there. And she's trying to decide if she wants to be mates with Reese. My big thing about, I don't understand why she was so mad at Reese is like, did she want him to be like, Hey, I'm your mate. Now you have no choice but to love me. Like what is the, what is the correct answer for Reese in this situation? Yeah, Either he doesn't tell you and you get to decide if you actually like him or not, or he tells you and he takes your free will away from you, which free will is the most important thing to Feyre aside from, I guess, with being withholding yeah. of information. But I mean, I just, I don't really see how he could have done anything yeah. right in this situation. Oh, no. um, look at me defending a man. What is wrong with me? <laughs> um, but so Reese comes to the cottage, sees all the things that she has painted, apologizes, professes his love for her, tells her everything. He tells her that even before Pharaoh came to the fairy world, he would have these strange visions of human hands painting and that he he was always looking for her and he showed up on the day of the spring rite in the first book because he had a vision of her in the fairy world and decided to go find her and see if she was really real and so when the first words he says to her is, I've been looking for you, he really meant that very specifically, that he, she was somebody that he had been searching for. And so he knew that she was important and knew that he cared about her. And so that was one of the motivators for him helping her through Amarantha's trials. And even though she was clearly in love with Tamlin, who is his essentially mortal enemy, and it wasn't until she became a fairy that the mate bond snapped into place, and he really like truly realized. But she also describes at one point dying, and yes, how and how
0: there was a light that she just held on to and kind of came back into, and you kind of see that that is kind of their mating bond
1: almost, like. Reese pulling her back right it's like a tether between the two of them that she was holding on to so like this is a reciprocated feeling and that she also says that when she was a human around the same time that Reese had this vision of her painting that she was painting drawers on a dresser one for herself one for each of her siblings and so for her sisters she painted it was Elaine got what flowers flowers and then Nesta got fire yes and for herself she painted a night sky and she had no understanding of why she painted that for herself. But we know that it is clearly a representation of her mate.
0: I think it was also funny that she was also born on the day that hosts the
1: longest night of the year. Yes. The winter solstice. She's made for the night court. So all of these variables have aligned. All of the planets have aligned. They are clearly born to be together. And so I think at this point, you know, Farah's already really kind of made up her mind. But Reese telling her all of these things, telling her his story, telling her his side of things, I think really cements it for her.
0: And then she makes some soup. Yes, cuz soup is kind of like a acceptance. Like if they eat the soup that you prepare, then that's kind of them accepting
1: the mating bond. And Reese ate it. And yes. it was good soup. Yeah, good soup. So then we get to the infamous chapter 55. Okay,
0: I think chapter 54 is better. The whole professing of their love and like
1: telling how sweet it is. Like, I just, I prefer that chapter more. I agree with you. I think that for me, not only did it tie so much together from the book, like we, so in these books, we have such a narrow vision. We only see what Pharisees, sees. And so when, we can only see her. These things are happening around us. Yeah. And these moments, like when Reese is describing meeting Farah for the first time and all of these different things, we're seeing these pieces that didn't necessarily make sense at the time or didn't really seem to have meaning. Suddenly they have tremendous yeah. amounts of meaning. And so I think this is Sarah J. Mass's way of giving us a pointed show that, like, these things are happening for a reason. You might not know it yet, but you need to trust this process. Yeah. But on top of that, it is a beautiful, beautiful profession of love. Yeah. I mean, this is a incredible love story. And this is the chapter that culminates that love story. And, and this is his, you know, I waited for you. This is his, <laughs> like, you know, boombox in the rain. Yes. Like, this is his... You know, this is his moment to say, like, you are my one. And she sees that from him and recognizes it and reciprocates it. So, I mean, I would agree that I mean, chapter 55 is lovely and fine and peppery and steamy and all those sorts of things. And I am thrilled for them and their use of tables and walls and all (laughs) these sorts of other things that they are making liberal use of. But chapter 54 is what does it for me, too. 100%. I am I am very much in line with that thinking. So at this point, Feyre and Reese are in love. They are mates. They haven't cemented it legally or spiritually. However, the fairies cement <laughs> their mate. We all know that they're mated. They smell like mates. This is a whole thing in this book. There's also the uh, brief couple weeks after the mating bond where they're basically in heat. Um, so there's a lot of... Uh, heat going on. Um, I think that this is where these books kind of get that very smart reputation Mm -hmm. and that kind of like chili pepper kind of thing. I think last, then the first book I rated it zero chili peppers, which I realize is wrong because technically Thera and Tamlin get together in that book, but it was so blasé. I literally glazed over it because it was irrelevant to my life. This I would give, I don't know, how many, how many peppers would you give this book? Probably Two and a half? Yeah. Maybe. Like, it's not like make you blush crazy. No. It's not like over the top, in your face, like excessive. It's not Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> it's but And it's also so much of a romantic tint to yeah. it that I think that like I would give this three max. Yeah. Um, like, yes, it exists. Yes, it is a quintessential part of this part of the book, but it doesn't define the book and it's not gratuitous. Yeah. But so anyways, all of this is happening. Finally... These mortal queens get their act together and they're like, fine, we're willing to meet to see the Veritas and talk to you guys about, you know, your situation. So they go back to the mortal world. They meet at Elena Nesta's house. Two of the queens show up and through the Veritas, they show the queens Valaris and they reveal this magical utopia as a proof of the goodness of the Night Court. And then what's more, we find out that Reese also, in addition wrote a plea to the queens professing his love for Pharaoh who once was human and oh, now yes. is immortal and how his love for her is you know has no bounds and is evidence of their goodness and all these things and it's really really beautiful and wonderful and the queens are basically like so what's your point <laughs> point?" and they're horrible and awful and miserable and they just are like we don't care So they winnow out because these are mortals, but they have the gift of winnowing. I don't know. But the older queen, the golden queen, leaves behind a box. And in it is the second half of the Book of the Breathings with a note that says, I believe you. I believe in your goodness. Your letter of love convinced me. Don't trust the other queens. She wasn't really sick. You're in big trouble, basically. (laughs) So they get the second half of the Book of the Breathings. Amran is trying to decode the Book of the Breathings to try to figure out how to shut down the cauldron. And while all this is happening, Hybern attacks Valaris. The queens have outed Valaris directly to the king of Hybern, and he has sent a complete and total just wrecking ball of violence towards this city of peace. Mm-hmm. Cassian and Feyre are there in Valaris in the city as the attack goes down Cassian tries to hold them off as long as he can on his own and Feyre kind of like sits around and is like what do I do I was a little like girl get up and go get it together (laughs) and so you know Cassian's like get back to the the home. you're gonna be safe there and she's like no but she's like also not helping and i'm like just kind of running around can you like get a move on (laughs) you know how you're like super powered maybe you should use some of those finally it snaps into place and she's like "Uh uh-uh this is my city and i'm gonna protect it so she just makes it rain hellfire and brimstone on this army she conjures water wolves love those so cool basically these water wolves chase down people and drown them which cool yeah and then when the fairies try to fly away to get away from her wolves they turn into eagles and they douse the fairy who's flying in water and then she freezes the water into ice and they fall to their deaths and shatter so this is like Pharaoh is a vengeful god essentially is where we're at like she is just murderous every power at her disposal she will use to destroy these agitators and to protect her city because that is what Valaris has become it is her city too now and reese has always said that he will do anything to protect Valaris and to protect his people that is the number one priority everything else and your methods are excusable as long as you are doing that so here she is just rain and chaos she eventually fights off a lot of a lot of these baddies amarin is there they're all there fighting and they eventually you know hold them off but not without a tremendous amount of casualties and devastation to Valeris. And so they essentially decide now is the time to take the fight to the king. And they come up with basically the worst secret mission possible. (laughs) They're like, we're going to go steal the cauldron. It's like Nicolas Cage stealing the Declaration of Independence. Like there is very little planning happening here. They basically are like, yeah, we're just going to go in. We know it's on like a lower floor somewhere. So we're just going to fly in there. But we're going to leave Reese behind because they're going to know that his magic's there. So we're not going to bring our most powerful dude. Mm. But we're going to go steal this giant cauldron. Cool? Cool. So we go to the king's castle. They fly in. They find the cauldron almost immediately, almost too easily. And they get there. Feyre gets out the Book of Breathings. Something weird happens. It's a trap. It's a trap. And the king of Hybern shows up along with Urian. Jurian. Jurian. Depends, depends on your use of the word, letter J. <laughs> so he shows up. And if you remember, he is the soldier that Amarantha kept in her ring. His eyeball. Yes. Actually, why don't you explain this? Because I think you're going to know your Jurian story a lot better than me.
0: Okay. So he was, he fought alongside them in the war and he was captured by... Amarantha because he was in love with Miriam. And Miriam and Draken, they were two, or Miriam was a mortal and she fell in love with Draken, who is a fairy. And but Jurian was in love with Miriam. So finally something happens during the war and Amarantha chops up Jurian. So she keeps his eyeball, puts it in a ring, and that's featured in uh the first book, Under the Mountain, and You kind of see a little bit of what's going on, but it's not really talked about who it is, why she has it or anything like that. But then as they get closer to figuring out how to stop the King of Highburn, they're like, oh, yeah,
1: she's done resurrected him. And sure enough, there he is when they show up. Right. Like in the first book, I think Jerrion is kind of an example of Amarantha's cruelty. So I'm a little bit confused on why he works for the King of Highburn now, because the King of Hybern was Amarantha's boss. So why is he working for the people that tortured him? That kind of gets revealed in the third book. Okay. So we'll get there. Keep your questions. I just, all right. This They'll is, get answered. This <laughs> is the part of the book where I got a little confused on why people are on the side that they are.
0: Yeah. All of that will be revealed in the third book okay.
1: in due time. So basically let's break this down. So they are now in the king's castle. They have been ambushed. They have been trapped. It is Reese. It is Pharah, Cassian, Azriel, and more. And they are brought into the throne room and Tamlin shows up. Frickin' Tamlin. Turns out he made a deal with the king of Highburn that if the king got Feyre back from the Night Court and gave her back to the Spring Court, that the king could then use the Spring Court as his access point to get to the mortal realm. Which Tamlin, what are we doing, dude? Just get it together, mm. man! You are a freaking mess. Like it's not even that he's blinded by love; it's that he's stupid because
0: of love. He's blinded but it's by entitlement. Not even and it's not even real love. Right. Like there's been multiple multiple occasions where she's like, "No, I I'm not coming back." Yeah. Like understand this. And he's like, "Oh, you said you're coming back." Okay. In his head, she is always going to come back and be sit there, look pretty, you know,
1: just be a perfect little wife. And she's like, "Absolutely not." Because he thinks that he owns her. Yes. He thinks that he has every right to her, that he's the one who plucked her out of obscurity from the mortal world. And therefore he made her. Yeah, he is. made her, which I'm sorry um, if no. anyone's getting that credit and Reese. But it's just again, we see the the inherent chauvinism of the Supreme yeah. Court that like Tamlin genuinely believes that he is. Fully and completely entitled to this woman, to her time, to her love, to her very existence, to whether or not she's able to exercise her fairy powers, like every aspect of her he thinks he has ownership of. And also in what world does he think? that him letting the king take over the mortal world is going to win over Feyre, the former human. With her sisters right. that are humans exactly. and her family. Like, Tamlin's got a couple screws loose in this situation. But, more than a couple. even more disappointing, Lucian is right by his side. Yes. He had no backbone in this book. Where <laughs> did your backbone go, Lucian? What is happening? So yeah, so we've got Tamlin acting like an absolute moron. And then we also have the mortal queens who show up because they are also allied with the King of Hybern. They outed Valaris to the king so that they could do the ambush. And then on top of that, the mortal queens have also kidnapped Feyre's sisters. Nesta and Elaine are both there in the throne room. And the mortal queens have made this deal with the King of Hybern in exchange for mortal life. And they believe that the cauldron will give them a mortal life. But... In order to prove that they can survive the cauldron's transformation, they're going to use Elaine and Nesta as the guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. So they are forced to watch as Nesta and Elaine are put into the cauldron one by one. First Elaine dropped in the cauldron. She comes out. She's a fairy. Then Nesta goes into the cauldron fighting. With a fight. Tooth and nail. Pointing she battles. finger. And even the king of Hybern knows to be scared, yes, because she is filled with that cauldron's rage. And so she goes into the cauldron, and she comes out a fairy. And she promises that she will like end every single yes. one of them. Like you will all fall to my hand, or so. I mean, like she is. They should be scared. They should, they should be. be terrified. Why give this girl powers? <laughs> Are you crazy?
0: Um, she was already so fiery as a human, right? Like, did they not know? Like, did they not?
1: Look at her. (laughs) What are you doing? Um, But yeah, so this is all happening. And Feyre is like, I have to stop this. I have to save my friends from the night court. I have to save my sisters. Oh, and also, let's not forget, the minute Elaine gets out of this cauldron as a fairy, Oh my goodness. Lucien's like, oh, hey, you're my mate. Hey. Oh my God, we're mates. And it's like, and bro. And she's like, what are you
0: doing? Who are you? Read the room.
1: <laughs> now is not the time. Like, bro, she just literally was thrown into a cauldron against her will, nearly died, turned into a fairy. Now is not the time. No. Get a grip, you spineless bro. <laughs> God. Um, here I am in book one doing Fork, Mary Kill and saying that I would marry Lucian. <laughs> And I have never been more disappointed in my yes. instincts in my life because I I'm just i so disappointed yeah. and I I'm sure it gets better but I feel pretty bad for Elaine knowing that uh, Lucian of Current is his mate. Yes. Lucian of Book One would not be bad. Lucian of Book Two, oh Lord, yeah, like no. So Feyre like, I got to get everybody out of here. I got to get the night court people out. I got to get my sisters out. Like, I, I have to figure out the exit plan for us because this is only going to escalate and get worse and worse and worse. So she starts kind of exploring the king's magic and finds a way to essentially bring down the wards that he has set up, the magical barriers that are blocking them from using their powers or blocking them from being able to leave. And she coaxes them down. And all of a sudden, oh, my gosh. What? Who am I? I'm free. What happened? I'm free from Reese's mind control. And basically plays the role of Tamlin's bride. Yes. The, the woman that Tamlin wants her to be. She throws herself away from Reese and the Night Court people, claims to have been kidnapped by them, have been snowed by them, that everything that she has done is because of Reese's mind control and that she's finally free from it by breaking down those wards, it also broke Reese's mind control and now she's free and she wants to go home to the spring court. But first, she asks the king to sever the bond between her and Reese. And Reese, of course, always game for roleplay. Yeah. <laughs> he uh he leans no. into this. No, no, don't do this. And so the king obliges. He breaks the bargain between Reese and Farrah so that Farah can go back to the spring court full time. And Tamlin thinks that's the end of it. And that now Farah is his. So she runs to Tamlin and Lucian and says, oh, like, thank goodness. I'm safe in your arms. And her night court friends realize that, you know, these words are down. It's time for them to escape. Farah has opened the door for them to flee, but not before they grab her sisters because they know they need to yes. get her sisters out of there and take care of them and she specifically is telling them through her mind get my sisters out of here they need you help them so they grab them they get out of dodge they're out of there and Lucien is like frothing at the mouth at rageful <laughs> they took my mate oh my gosh I've like never spoken to this woman in my life but I my mate like good lord bro <laughs> L- read the freaking room so Lucien is like having his Tamlin era basically and they're just both garbage so the cauldron needs recharging or something mm-hmm. very conveniently so the queens the mortal queens don't get to be immortalized in this moment in time just basically everything's kind of a mess but so long story short Pharaoh goes back to the spring court with Tamlin and Lucian, and she's like oh my goodness it was like an all a bad dream and just leans into this <laughs> role Lucian is very skeptical he's and like, is really oh, not buying it. And he's like, girl, what? Really? Because I saw you in that forest and you looked mad batty. Yeah. Um, so what's going on here? So, but Tamlin in his entitled, ignorant way. Oh, thank you for coming home. You rescued me, Prince. Um, yeah, it's, he just buys it because his, you know, his attitude is just, it's all ego. So of course he's like, yeah, I saved her. I showed him who's boss." But little do they know that the night before, Reese and Feyre cemented their mate, mateship, their relationship. Mm-hmm. They are formally mates. That mating bond still exists down deep inside of them. They can still kind of communicate with each other. They, that bond is unbroken. And on top of everything, Reese has named her the
0: High Lady of the Night
1: Court. Suck it, Tamlin. <laughs> so Tamlin is essentially unknowingly welcoming the high lady of the night court into his home as a spy yes and we really end this entire book right there on this kind of cliffhanger where i was like all right let's start book three i'm about to pick up page one like it was you could read both book two and book th- i say this without having read book three yet but it feels like you can roll directly from book yeah. one, two into book three there's a huge gap between book one and book two not necessarily in time it's only about three months in the book but in vibe and in closure yeah. like you get a lot of closure at the end of book one you don't get any closure at the end of this one you're just steamrolling right into the next one so yeah i just what are your thoughts First of all,
0: I can't even imagine having to wait a year in between those books. I know. I could barely even wait
1: two days to go to the library. Yeah. Like, to get it. I can imagine a year. And this is why I like to read series after all of them have already come yes. out. It's because I'm free from the tyranny of a cliffhanger. Yeah. But, I mean, I just... This one is so much better in the first book and I'm so glad that I mean not that I hated the first book in any way shape or form the spring court was painful I'm not gonna lie about that but it was a good
0: introduction a good beauty and the beast-esque story right that's what it's meant to be and it kind of it set the foundation for the rest of the series in this book
1: especially yeah and and I think in many ways, and this is something that Aislinn brought up too, but this book is a love story. It is. Wrapped up in fairy tale and fantasy. This is first and foremost the story of Feyre and Reese. I've seen people describe it as like a Hades and Persephone type yes. of story. Yeah. I love a, a mythological incorporation mm-hmm. into my fantasy, so that's always great. But yeah, I think that the reason that this one is so special is because of the way that she is able to craft their love story. Yeah. That is what sets this book apart I think it sets that
0: although there is healing in it and then there is a love story it's not she's healing because of his love she is healing by herself you know all of their friends are kind of helping it's not just oh Reese has saved me I'm healed from my trauma now right no he's dealing with his trauma they all are and they're all finding that solace together
1: right In many ways, it is about found family and that this these people of the night court are her family that she is safe with and that she can find a home with. And she has many opportunities to not accept them, run away, flee. And every single time she comes back, because at at the end of the day, these are the good, true people that they present themselves as. They are not a Tamlin who presents himself one way and is truly a different or, um, you know, same with Lucian. And you know, I'm curious to see how the other courts turn out. Cause obviously we, we got to see the summer court here and I loved it. I really want to see the other courts and see what they're like. We heard about the autumn court in the first book from Lucian's perspective. And we saw some of his brothers under the mountain, but I I really, I feel like, the thing I en- have enjoyed the most in this book, aside from Reese and Farah's relationship, is getting to explore this world. Yeah, I was talking to uh, one of the booksellers at Blue Cypress Books in New Orleans, and she was talking about how... There is this concept about world building versus sandbox building and how Sarah J Mass builds this world like a sandbox where you can yourself play in it. You can kind of explore this world and you can get your hands into it. And, you know, whether it's the characters that you're into or the courts that you're into, you can kind of find yourself in this world and really just be along for the ride yeah and i think that that is the best part about this book is that immersion into this world where you feel like you can reach out and touch everything you can say which court do i belong in like which what would i do in volaris like what are these kinds of different places and different people and all these situations like you see yourself in there in a way that is so accessible and really really fun But you said that this is your favorite book, right? Out of all the five?
0: Actually, Nesta's story is my absolute favorite. And then Reese and Fair are like close second. It's just because I relate to Nesta Uh a whole lot. And you'll kind of figure out more of her dealing with being a fairy and like this whole new world and kind of her anger and Mm -hmm. like what she's going through. You figure that more out in the third book and but really diving into her point of view in her own book I think that is so special to see in that kind of transition between how different the sisters are Mm -hmm. and seeing now seeing Farah from somebody else's point of view instead of Farah seeing everybody else
1: around her right yeah I think that um in the end of the book we very clearly get telegraphed that not only is Lucy and Elaine's mate but also that Cassian is Nesta's mate. Yeah. We have, I mean, in this battle with the king, Cassian is horrifically injured. And so when Nesta is being drugged to the cauldron, fighting tooth and nail, Cassian is trying to like get up and fight for her yeah. and save her, but he cannot because he is so horrifically injured. But it, it very it's very clearly telegraphed that like yeah. he is her mate and we're going to get that story. And I'm excited for that because Cassian is a spunky guy. Mm-hmm. And- I love their banter and their, bar, you know, they're like back and forths and barbs and stuff. It's going to be another fun little dive back in because, you know, something for me is like after the love story, sometimes these things can kind of pitter off a little bit. And I think that it's fun to see that, like, we're clearly being telegraphed, that we're getting more love stories. And I'm excited to see them kind of flourish and develop. And obviously we'll see where Feyre and Reese go and everything like that. Um, Who knows? Maybe Tamlin will find love. Who knows? (laughs) God, I hope not. (laughs) I really hope not. Oh, my gosh. A man only a mother could love. Oh, We didn't talk about the Weaver. Oh, goodness. We have to talk about the Weaver. The Weaver. Okay. I'm so sorry. We need to talk about the Weaver because this is a side quest that happens in the book, but it really, really, really is important. So the Weaver is this character who lives near the mountain where Aramantha had her court under the mountain. The Weaver is this diabolical golem, troll, witch entity that is like incredibly powerful and cannibalistic, it seems. And the Weaver is a keeper of stolen items, precious things that people have lost or have given to the Weaver to keep safe. And Reese takes... Fera to the weaver's cottage and says, you need to retrieve this thing of mine that I've lost. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because he frames it as a test of can you, because you are made of all of the different high lords of Prithian, can you sense their magic in items? Can you find things? Can you kind of, can you be like a bloodhound for magic yeah. basically? So he frames it like this is what she's doing. She's going to, it's a test to see if she can sense Reese's magic on an item, pluck it out and get out. So she does. She goes into the weaver's cottage. She finds this ring on a shelf and she feels Reese's power on it. She knows that this is the item she's supposed to retrieve. She grabs it, narrowly escapes. The weaver attacks her. She goes up into the... The chimney and she's trying to escape out of the chimney which is like covered in like human fat, fat uh, fairy hair. fat hair it's disgusting there's a lot of cannibalistic references and stuff so she she narrowly escapes from the weaver's cottage and reese is like oh cool you got it good job and it, it is, is like do what <laughs> You're not going to tell me what this is? He's like, "Mm, nah. So later on, we find out that it is actually Reese's mother's ring that has been passed down through his family for generations of women. Women pass it down to women. And so when Reese is a young man, his mother gives it to the weaver and says that Reese's true mate, the one that he is supposed to end up with, if she is truly worthy, that she can go to the weaver, find the ring, know that it is his ring, and retrieve it from the weaver's cottage. And only then will she be worthy. And so she, the thing that she is going to get is her own wedding ring. Yeah. So it is a fun little aside that obviously it means even more after the fact than you know, once you know that they're mates than in the very moment. But I would also like to point out that on the cover of this book we have a raven type character with a ring and yep. i when i picked this book up i was like yo that looks like reese is that a wedding ring and i was like oh better not read too much into that you <laughs> never know and then boom there yep. we go so um but before we go i need you to do a little uh a little game for me okay so we're gonna do a fork Mary kill all right but we're gonna do bat boy edition okay so we've got reese We've got Cassian, and we've got Asriel. So you need to fork, Marion oh, really? kill, and tell me why.
0: Okay. So I think I'm going to fork Cassian, only because I've read the fourth book. <laughs> yeah. And he is so, like, there's so much more to his character that I feel like you kind of get a little bit into it when him and Farrah are training, but definitely more in the fourth book. Mm-hmm. Um this is so controversial. I'm going to kill Reese. <laughs> okay. I would have married him until, like I said, I've read almost a whole series, uh, except for the ones that haven't come out. But I, I think I would kill him only because I would want to marry Azriel because I love him. He's precious. His shadows, like his whole backstory of like overcoming his whole like being tortured by his brothers in, like, the war camps and everything that happened to him and just kind of figuring out, like, exactly, like, what's underneath the surface with mm-hmm. him and how he's so, like, standoffish, but still, like, once you figure out, like, who he is and get to know him, he is so sweet, so precious. So I would marry Azriel and I would kill Reese, oh, which is so bad. Controversial. But
1: that's it. That's my rankings. Did you say... The books we've had out so far. Are there going to be more court? Yeah. Oh my there's gosh. like two more. Stop it. I really thought. Or at least I hope there's two more. There better be two more. Okay. I'm not even kidding. This is how little I know about these books going into <laughs> these. I had no idea. I thought the series was over and then no. she was full time Crescent City now. No. So
0: you have the three Court of Thorns and Roses about Feyre and then the little novella. Uh-huh. And then you have Nesta's story. And then you have cassian and wait that's cassian and nesta and then you have i think next is going to be elaine and
1: her person mm-hmm. and then Lucian. i don't know oh you don't know oh lord he, well Lucian seems to think it's about him yeah so and then Azriel and his person <gasps> oh my goodness which is very
0: the topic of very much controversial things about Astrial, but we can definitely talk more about that in once we get to Court of Silver Flames.
1: Okay, we'll get there because obviously we like to put on our tinfoil hats over here and yes. uh, fan, fan theorize. <laughs> like, you know, how Alice is a spy for the night court. Um, <laughs> so is there anything I need to know going into book three or kind of have on my radar? Anything at all? I would say keep an open mind about Lucian. Like okay. I know he was terrible in this book keep your mind open about him i'm not mad at Lucien. i'm just disappointed yes like Lucien was great in book one i have faith that like perhaps he is doing a, a reese and playing the long con but i'm just disappointed currently yeah. and keep your mind open about jurian
0: there's Durian. something
1: more to him that I'm you'll just, find out i'm really trying to get a grasp on this whole jurian situation and the king of pa- i think because these are characters who are the least sussed out for us yeah that i really they are so nebulous in my mind like yeah. i'm just like who are these people again yeah. like she kind of keeps know. them hidden kind of within the people yeah so i mean definitely i'm sure i will get to know them way more in the third book because that is from my understanding it basically like a cool thousand pages of war yeah pretty much so we'll get there i is there any romance to look forward to in book yeah. three? Oh, oh yeah yeah because that's kind of gives you a lead in to nesta and cassian mm-hmm. um
0: and it also kind of gives you a lead in to elaine and her mate mm-hmm. and people
1: man these poor spring court boys they are just <laughs> well we'll see i'm excited yeah. to get into it all but yeah so i think that's this book feels so much longer talking about it than it is reading it but i had a blast me too so thank you for talking to me about a court of mist and fury and we will be back for wings and ruin as soon as i'm done reading it (laughs) uh we'll see where we go from here so well thank you kenzie yeah thank you for having me on and i will uh talk to y'all soon bye This episode of Mass Holes was produced and hosted by Caroline Barby and co-hosted by Kenzie Rushing. Music by Hartle Road. Mass Holes is part of the Friendly City Books podcasting network. Hey, it's Kenzie. Thanks for listening. Support Friendly City Books and other independent bookstores
0: like us by shopping online at bookshop.org and libro.fm. Find us on social media at Friendly City Books. And don't forget to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy reading!